You're listening to a not-for-print podcast, independent Australian podcasting. This episode of All My Friends Are In Bar Bands was recorded on the land of the Tharawal and the Kana people. We pay our respects to elders past and present and acknowledge that sovereignty was never ceded. This always was and always will be Aboriginal land. Enjoy the episode. It's David James Young here, back once again for all my friends are in bar bands. It has been nearly four months since I put an episode up. It's it's uh, it's been a while, as our our good close personal friends Stained would say. How are you doing? How is everything on your end? I hope you are doing well wherever you may be. I hope you are catching a bunch of great live music if that is safe to do so in your area. And uh, I hope you are weathering the storm best as you can in your own lives. It's good to be back, and it's really good to be back with such a great guest to kick off 2021. Folks, today's guest is Kevin Mitchell. Kevin is a Australian singer-songwriter who forged his name in the mid to late 90s at the helm of Jebediah, one of the great alternative rock bands of their generation. Then later, he would forge a solo career under the moniker of Bob Evans, which has given us several studio albums across the years, including a brand new one that is coming in April entitled Tomorrowland. Uh, we talk about that and a bunch of other stuff on this crossover episode. Yes, that's right. On top of being a singer, songwriter, and a prolific tourer, Kev is also a podcaster. He does a one-on-one conversation podcast entitled Good Evans. It's a Bobcast, and I was fortunate enough to be a guest on that very podcast this time last week. Yeah, you can listen in either order, really. You can go and listen to Kev's podcast first, or listen to mine. Uh, For reference sake, I did his podcast first and then he did mine. But, you know, that's the magic of the internet. You can listen to this one first if you so choose. And who's going to stop you? I sure as shit I'm not going to. I want to thank Kev so, so much for taking the time to talk to me uh, and just get into uh, the various stages of his career. We could have talked for another two or three hours, honestly. This is a guy that I would love to have on again, just because there was so much that we didn't get to cover across our hour of conversation, but uh, I'm, I'm very thankful that he took the time away from his run at the Adelaide Fringe as part of the 27 Club show uh, to talk to me. Massively, massively appreciated. I won't keep you too much longer, just a quick reminder that this podcast is made possible with help and the support of people just like yourself. If you like this podcast, it would mean the absolute world if you could rate and review this podcast over on Apple Podcasts or indeed wherever you get your podcasts from. Uh, tell some friends about it. Maybe you have some friends that are Jebediah fans, Bob Evans fans, etc. Uh, you can 
let them know what we're doing over here. And if you are in a position to do so, you can support me over on Patreon for as little as $1 a month. You help to keep the lights on at Barbands HQ and support my ongoing work as a writer, a podcaster, and a musician. I want to give a big thank you to everyone that is helping to support me over there, including this list of Dead Set Legends. A big thank you to Bill Robinson, Blake Hennequin, Catherine Burgess, Chris Bowden, Chris Kearns, Dave McCarthy, David Armstrong, David Beckett, Elliot J. O'Neill, Eloise Young, Jeremy Dillon, Jeremy Neal, Jonathan Elvery, Kylie Herring, Katie Beersher, Kira Lakova, Lachlan Kennewick, Liam Sherlaw, Mark Wilson, Mary Gleason, Matthew Lynch, Patty Ablos, Paul McWhirter, Philip Spiteri, and Will McDougall. If you would like to join this list of certifiable champions of the world, you can do so by heading over to patreon.com slash David James Young. That's P-A-T-R-E-O-N dot com slash David James Young. Uh, indeed, if you are a patron, you are probably hearing this uh, early. You are hearing this before it goes up on the main feed, and that is just one of many services I offer over on Patreon. So head on over and let's talk turkey, dude. In the meantime, if you would like to get in touch, barbandspod at gmail.com, B-A-R-B-A-N-D-S-P-O-D. You can also hit up the Not For Print Podcast Network at Not For Print Pods on Instagram, which is home to bar bands, the big show, 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 dug by us, and our newest acquisition, everyone has a wrestling podcast except me. So you can find out all about those podcasts over on Instagram.com slash not for print pods. While you're there, you can also follow me on Instagram at DJY Writes, W R I T E S. That is going to do it for now. Let's cross over to my chat with the dead set legend, Kevin Mitchell. I don't want to talk about it. Hi everyone, I'm David James Young and all my friends are in bar bands. Today I would like to introduce you to my friend, Kevin Bloody Mitchell. <laughs> Hello, thanks for having me. AKA Bob Evans, mate. Thank you very much for joining us today. How, how, how's things? You're over in you're over in Adelaide. I am. Yeah, I'm in Adelaide. Yeah, I arrived here in a mad dash when uh, Melbourne went into lockdown and borders went up. Mm-hmm. And I'm I'm doing this sh- show in the Adelaide Fringe Festival. It's called the Twenty Seven Club. Yeah, and it's uh, yeah just celebrating the music of uh, Robert Johnson, Janis Joplin, Jimi Hendrix, Jim Morrison, Amy Winehouse, and Kurt Cobain. Yeah, yeah. Um, and it's kind of like a I guess it's kind of like rock and roll theatre. Um, yeah, right. So Sarah McLeod from the Super Jesus is in the cast as well, who's a, an old mate, which is Course, nice. Yeah. And then, yeah, another singer, local Adelaide singers, um, Dusty Stevenson and uh, Carla Lippis, who are both brilliant. And, yeah, we sort of... It's, it's kind of... It's one of those gigs that's um, kind of pushes me a bit out of my comfort zone because 
it's well because it's kind of a tribute concept yeah, for, yeah. for one and also yeah because it's just straddling into that uh theater world so there's a little bit of dialogue scripted dialogue you know to tie the songs together right, and yeah we're on stage the whole time so even when we're not singing we're on stage so um you know they have this little sort of chair cat there's these chairs and a little table on the side of stage where you know well you just sit singers you hang just out wait for your moment yeah, yeah right but you're sort of engaged with you're always engaging with the other performers yeah, on stage yeah, yeah, even yeah, when yeah. you're not performing yourself and all of that so that, and there's like just even a little bit of very you know simple but uh, subtle sort of blocking you know so you have to be in a certain position at a certain time and stuff like that so all things that in my normal uh, day job playing rock and roll I don't th- you know need to do yeah. but it's sort of a it's a bit of a bit of a throwback to my high school years of you know doing uh, production, you know theater productions and stuff oh, like that. Oh yeah, um, were, you, were you in like Jesus yeah. Christ Superstar or something? Like what? Well, what was your? I'd say the first, the first one I did at high school, I was Annie. What? Well, Annie. Well, I was, I was just a. I played the role of like a policeman. I, I was literally thinking and, you were uh, playing Little Orphan Annie, and I'm just like, oh really? no, <laughs> this was it. I was in, in the, so it was like the it was theater. The, there was a theater company at the school that I went to in Perth, yeah. and um, and so it was like year nine, year ten, year eleven, and twelves all together, right? So it was the, right. the older kids would always get the lead parts, and so, but I I did play the um, probably my. Uh, <clears throat> Most accomplished role was <laughs> as the uh, as the lion in the Wiz. Oh shit, um, dude! <laughs> that's fucking that was when crazy. I, was in, like, I think I was in year eleven or something by that stage. So, yeah. So I mean, I you know, look at at, at school. I love that stuff. You know, that was my and and um, at that point in time, I was um, you know, I was writing songs and get you know really getting into bands and you know listening to Triple J and all that sort of stuff. Yeah. But I wasn't performing. I didn't really start performing music or start a band or anything until I finished high school. So right. So that was kind of my my performing my performance world, you know, for for my high school years, really. Yeah, unreal, unreal. <laughs> I I I start these generally by talking if I have met the person before, um, where I met that person, and you were not going to remember where we met, but uh, I remember this distinctly because you know this is this is a formative experience. I'm. I'm probably, I want to say 15, and you, Kev, are playing with Tegan and Sarah in oh. uh, down the down the south coast of New South Wales at a venue called the Yellow Woolshed. You are supposed to be on tour with Little Birdie, but Katie yes. Steele has lost her voice, and so Tegan yes. and Sarah and you are just playing a free show in their stead. Ah. Do you remember this tour? I absolutely remember that tour. I, I remember it well. It, it was a very it was actually a really special time in my life because I was doing that tour with the knowledge that soon after it ended I was going to be flying to Nashville to make Suburban Songbook. Right. And then spend the next 6 months living um with my partner now now wife then girlfriend um in europe and we and, and we got engaged and i came back and we got married and suburban songbook ended up doing really really well and kind of revived my yeah, yeah, career yeah. and everything so this that moment in time i was i was just 
super excited about the future and just in a really, really happy place. Well, there you go. I'm glad I caught you at a good time then. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, it was weird because, yeah, Katie, yeah, it was, it, it was, it was quite hard to um, watch Little Birdie go through that at the time. Um, of course, yeah. Because, you know, yeah, it was just really, really difficult um, and they were, you know, they were all upset with what was happening and, yeah, you know, it's difficult in those situations, different people have different expectations of what the band should do in that situation. Yeah, um, yeah, yeah. In terms of pl- whether to play the show or not and stuff and, yeah, they ended up... And I guess Tegan and Sarah had come all the way up from America and, and so, you know, yeah, they just continued... We just continued the tour and, and it just became a Tegan and Sarah headline show and they were, you yeah. know, pretty getting pretty popular at that point in time. Yeah, I can remember so, that um, pretty distinctly. It was it was so, a wild yeah, time. The gigs, yeah, you know, obviously people who were a little bit didn't play were offered refunds and stuff, but there were still loads of people coming to the shows. So it was obviously a lot of people coming to see Tegan and Sarah anyway. So yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. Good times, good times. So I begin these by tracing back the initial interest in music, specifically where it changed over from being something that you were watching on TV, listening to on the radio, to mm-hmm. being this is what I want to do. I want to sing. I want to play guitar. I want to be in a band. That sort of thing. So, yeah, you've kind of touched a little bit on it, but can you talk about, I guess, how music kind of factored into your childhood and your upbringing, and then if there was a moment for you where you are just like, this is this is it, I'm going to do this? Yeah, well, yeah, sort of, I guess up until the age of about 12, I was always listening to music, I was always surrounded, by, I, I used to do uh, dance classes when I was oh god from the age of like seven till I was 12 I was in this sort of jazz ballet kind of dance thing and um there was a love of music there right from the beginning but the sort of obsession when it where it crossed over to an obsession and where when it crossed over from just sort of passively listening to whatever was on the radio and moved into like you know really discovering music for myself yeah that happened sort of pretty much the year that I started high school I guess it kind of started with me coming up with songs in my imagination like basically you know I started to write songs but I didn't know how to play an instrument so I um they were offering guitar lessons at school so I just did six months of my mum my bought me a you know a second-hand nylon string acoustic guitar for like 80 bucks from someone down the road and um did six months of guitar lessons which was all I really needed to kind of get started to, you know, just learn the chords and just get, get started. Once I, once I had that basic stuff down, then I, I could just kind of teach myself whatever else I needed to. And yeah, it was all just really about trying to get these, this music that I was kind of imagining in my head and get it out into the, into the real world. And I, I needed an instrument to be able to do that. So so I, was, I mean, I started writing songs on the guitar the day that I got it home. Before I, I mean, I could barely even play the thing. So <laughs> got, there's no, there's no recordings of it. But I, I'd be really fascinated to uh, know what it, what, what I was doing, yeah. um, what it sounded like. But um, it was all about writing, you know. Um, I, I was just obsessively writing every, every day. You know, I'd start yeah, yeah, yeah. before I went to school, and I'd do it as soon as I got home, and. Um, so yeah, by the time Jebediah was formed, which was in my first year of university after finishing school, I guess I'd been sort of writing 
songs like really dedicated to writing for about five years before I started a band so I you know looking back on you know how quickly Jebediah kind of took off I think there's a bunch of different kind of factors involved in that I suppose but I think that maybe one of them might be that by the time we started writing songs, I'd been kind of practicing for quite a few years. Um, yeah, you know, we didn't when we didn't just start writing songs when we started the band. You know, but yeah, by the time Jeb started, I, I suddenly I had this band that I could bring songs to, and and I kind of yeah, I guess I developed a, a method to to songwriting by that stage. You know, that was that was starting to kind of sound good. You grew up in Bull Creek. Yeah, Bull Creek's just a suburb, a southern suburb of Perth. Perth is sort of separated by. The Swan River, so there's north and south. Uh, Fremantle's in the south, and the city's in the north. And so, yeah, you know, I grew up in Bull Creek, and Fremantle was kind of where we would hang out, I suppose, on weekends, go into. Um, right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, not, yeah, it's not a Fremantle band as such, but I guess, you know, we identified like more with Frio than, the, than Perth, I suppose. I mean, at that point, were there distinctions between the two? Like, were there kind of, like, like separate music scenes entirely? Or was it kind of just like, oh, yeah, kind of fucking everyone knows everyone? Yeah, look, it's a small place, so everyone does kind of know. There was scenes, yeah. there were, there always has been, and there still is to this day. Like, Fremantle, you know, for people who've never, who haven't visited, you know, Fremantle is, is definitely, like, its own little island, you know, and... In amongst the the broader city of Perth, and and so there have always been bands that, you know, identify as being Frio bands, and but yeah, it's just such a small place that you know, everyone just pl- kind of played everywhere and with everyone. So, you know, it was, yeah. a, it was a pretty good in the you know when we started out in '95, there was a really great scene of local bands where, you know, and I think this is probably the case for when you've got a small place. There was really good camaraderie. Every band's kind of everyone sort of were, were mates and supportive of each other. And yeah, I don't. I, I think in places like Sydney, perhaps you know, because the industry is based there and so much such a bigger place, there's a competitive edge that you kind of feel going on there. Yeah. Whereas in Perth, you know, we were so isolated from the rest of the world, and it doesn't happen so much now because of the internet. But pre-internet. You know, your geographical location made a massive difference. Yeah. So there's no industry. We was, No one knew what was going on over there. Um, and so, you know, I think that helped create a scene that was just, yeah, that was just supportive of its, of its own, you know? Yeah, totally, totally. So do you remember when and where the first time you played a gig was? Like, how old were you? <laughs> the first gig that Jeb and I did... I was 17 and we play we played at our um at the school year 12 ball for the at, at our, of our old school yeah, for, right. for the year level below us. So what happened I think is that on the last day of our of year 12 uh, myself and Chris from Jebs and, and a couple of other kids from our year at the final school assembly, you know the big final assembly where you have a big send off for the year 12s we played uh, today by the Smashing Pumpkins. Of course, and <laughs> I, I, I think we made an impression. You know, I, I doubt whether we were very good, but I guess you know, kids 
can be pretty easy to impress. Um, oh yeah, no, definitely. <laughs> <laughs> but the next year, when those year 11s became year 12s, and they were organising their year 12 ball, they said they wanted us to play. Now, at that point in time, so I get a phone call from the school, and I don't. We don't even have a band, right? Jebediah hasn't even formed. This is in February, right. February of '95. So just after I finished finished school. Um, and so I get this call from someone at the high school saying, you know, look, you know, the year 12s want you to play their ball and, you know, can you tell me a little bit about, you know, the band and your experience and all that kind of stuff. Now, I had to lie through my fucking teeth <laughs> because there was, <laughs> there was no band. There was no band. Like Ness and Chris had been playing in a, playing together in a band and they, they'd done a few gigs around the place. And so I just kind of... Talk to him as if I was in, as if I was in that band. So I just rattled off all the venues that those guys had played in, yeah, and all the experience that they'd had, <laughs> as if it was, you know, m- me and my band. And that was obviously, you know, enough. And so then after that phone call, I ring up Chris and I'm like, you know, telling him what's what what's just happened. And it's like, oh, you know, we've got to we've got to form a band. So we were like Ness, we we. we was the first person we asked to join a band, but she was a guitarist in in this band that she'd been playing in before. Yeah, right. Um, so Chris and I were like, we really want you to be in this band, but would you be up for playing bass instead of guitar? She'd never played bass before in her life. She was like, yeah, man, that's that's totally cool. You know, I think pretty much within that same week, she'd sold her acoustic guitar and bought a bass and just started learning bass and then we had another we had this other drummer his name was Alman but he never showed up to rehearsals we, well, he was always really late and stuff and so that's when I sort of suggested to the other guys look my older brother plays drums let's ask him so he got involved and then we had about three months to uh, rehearse we had to play three sets so we played all just covers oh, we actually yeah. we had, we, by the time we did the gig we had a few originals we had maybe two or three originals that we that we chucked in there but mostly covers of you know, there was lots of Green Day in there, Nirvana, Smashing Pumpkins, yeah. Pearl Jam yeah, yeah, yeah. we played, uh, Rat Cat, UMI. Um, oh, yeah, nice. So just all those sort of mid-90s Triple J songs. Sure, yeah. And we're, you know, we would have been sh- terrible, you know. We would have been Oh, so of course, shit. yeah. <laughs> um, I mean, we can you- romanticise it now, but like, yeah. <laughs> Every- everyone's just like, oh yeah, my first gig fucking sucked. It's like, yeah, of course it fucking sucked. <laughs> we were so young, we had no idea what we were doing, pretty much. Not a um, damn clue. So it was a, kind of a strange, yeah, kind of a strange way to start. But of course, once we did that gig, you know, we, we, we were having so much fun, we desperately want to do more and we you know we wanted to keep writing our own songs and we didn't want to be a cover band so then it was just like hustling for gigs like we'd play i think the first gig we did after that might have been like on a tuesday night they'd have these new band nights you know at, at these pubs around town where on a tuesday right. night or something you know they yeah. pretty much they'd just let anybody play you know you it was a gig that you could get when you couldn't get gigs so we just did a few of those and, and and gradually we developed enough of our own songs that we could stop playing any covers at all the covers just sort of diminished from the set list pretty quickly and yeah and it all just kind of took off from there but oh, we did a campus band competition and i guess that was we won the national campus bands competition that year oh yeah yeah of course yeah yeah it was like we did the final that we did it was at lismore university university in lismore and um it was like a 12th or 13th gig and we we won that competition and that's when we started sort of getting offered supports for like touring bands and stuff like that and 
yeah. more people got to see us. Honestly, that's fucking. It's it's kind of surreal. Like usually when I talk to like people on here, like they'll they'll mention their first band and just be like, oh yeah, yeah, like nothing really came of it. You're still <laughs> in your first band. That's, I know that is. I know, yeah, right? It's absolutely it, it is surreal. Yeah, I mean, look, uh, and and Brett, my my brother, who's the drummer, and Ness and Chris, you know, they they all played in in at least one band before Jebediah. But yeah, for me, it was my first. But yeah, it is. It's it is wild, and you know, we we're still together, I and mean, we haven't no. There's been no changes of band members in all that time, and you know, often when yeah, we yeah, um, yeah. you know, when we play a festival, you know. And we'll be on the bill with all bands that we've been playing with for years, you know, Magic Dirt or Body Jar or Super Jesus yeah. or whatnot. And, um, yeah, we often kind of look at ourselves and go, fuck, we're, we're pretty much one of the only bands where it still has all the original members, you know. Um, yeah. All the other bands on this bill have, have changed members since, you know, we first started playing with them. So, yeah, you know, it's, I think the, the, the reason for that, the main reason for that is that we were all really good mates for quite a f- well, not so much Brett but me and Chris and Vanessa were friends for years before the band started that friendship was kind of locked in and so with the band you know the friendship always kind of came first before anything else you know it when at a time when a lot of bands break up you know after you have that first initial bit of success and start putting out records and then maybe you know you're not the, the, your popularity starts to you know plateau out or it starts to go wane or you're not selling as many records or, anyway the 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 business side of things maybe starts to drop off a bit, which, you know, is just part of the nature of being in a band. It happens to everyone. Yeah. I think that's when a lot of bands break up. We never wanted to because we were still having heaps of fun. We were still good friends and, you know, maybe the, the venues we were playing was getting smaller, but we were still having a really good time. So, yeah, um, totally. That, that's what, um, that's what kind of kept us going, you know, and I'm really glad that we did because being around as long as we have been now, trajectory is kind of, it just goes up and down. It comes, yeah, totally. it goes in waves and, you know, we've got, we've been able to experience resurgences in, in popularity, you know, later on in our career. And so if we'd have broken up, we just would have missed out on, you know, on all of that. Totally. What do you remember about the first Jebediah tour? Oh, wow. Well, the first Jebediah tour was a tour called Unipalooza. Oh man, I've I've heard about this. <laughs> who was on that? Was that we just Motor Race wasn't on that? Was oh, it was something for, something for oh, Kate? That's who I heard it from. That's who I heard it from because yeah, I think yeah, I think yeah. Previous guests of the show, Paul Dempsey okay, yeah, and right. Steph Ashworth, okay, were, were well, telling me about it. Yeah, so something for Kate, Blue Bottle Kiss, and Jebediah. Oh, we, amazing! We, so Jebediah just signed to Murmur, which was the offshoot of Sony. Record label, famous for Silverchair. And some Kate and Blue Bottle Kiss were, were also signed to Murmur. Yeah, we yeah, were the yeah. newest signing. Right. Some Kate had already been signed before us and Blue Bottle Kiss even earlier still. So we were kind of the babies of the tour. Blue Bottle Kiss were the elder statesmen. Yeah, it was a massive month-long tour of university campuses. We went everywhere. North Queensland, Tasmania. I don't think we visited Northern Territory. I think that was the only place we didn't go. Yeah. Um, but yeah, just and and it was you know something for Kate would headline the the Melbourne shows, Blue Bottle Kiss headline the Sydney shows, we headline the Perth shows, that kind of thing. We'd we'd become quite popular quite quickly in Perth, but no one else in the rest of the country had any idea who we were. It was a really fun tour. It was, I think, something for Kate and Blue Bottle Kiss might have been going through some issues. Yeah, but we were having a fucking great time. You know, we're still friends with the something for Kate guys to this day. And yeah, I just texted Paul the other the other night actually. I was. 
did, did a did a late night drunken text, <laughs> <laughs> which I'm so guilty of doing. I, I really need to stop doing it. But um, uh, but I don't I don't do late night drunken text to like excess or anything. I, I late yeah. night drunken text to other musicians. Yeah, it's just it's just Paul. <laughs> <laughs> but um, but we did this thing recently. We covered a he he was doing this online show for a a, a radio station and. Um, right, yeah. And yeah, he asked me to guest on a couple of Crowded House songs. Oh, yeah, I heard about this. Yeah, 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 yeah. So, so we just did that late last year. I've just released a Bob Evans song, Concrete Heart, and I was on YouTube just to check it out, make sure it was getting views. And I saw the thing that I'd done with Paul, and I'd heard it when we first did it, but I, I had another listen to it, and I was like, man, this is really cool. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I just texted him, and I was like, man, thank you so much for having me on to do that thing. It was really cool, especially because it was during lockdown as well, so... You know, people were having a pretty shitty time in Victoria. Of course, yeah. Getting back to the Unipalooza tour, <laughs> it was a pretty massive first touring experience. Yeah, because like I said, it was like a month long for like 30-odd shows or something. Yeah. It was a good entry point to the life that we would go on to uh, pretty much live for you know, the next Yeah, years. that's it, that's it. So by means of contrast, what do you remember about the first tour as... Bob Evans. Right. First Bob Evans tour. So I, I made a Bob Evans. The first Bob Evans record I made was in 2003. It was called Suburban Jebs. We'd, we'd finished our third album. We'd done this B-Size and Rarities thing, and then Sony dropped us off the label. Oh, um, yeah, because everyone was getting dropped for Australian Idol acts, weren't they? Oh, absolutely. I remember yeah, that. Something for Kate, <laughs> something for Kate Survive. Their third album was like their big sort of mainstream break. Oh, yeah, yeah. They went platinum. Yeah, I remember that. Yeah, that's right. We had huge success in our first two records, but our third record didn't, didn't do so well. And so Sony dropped us, which was fine. We were kind of prepared for that. We'd already we'd started up our own record label called Redline Records. And we've been putting out bands on it. <clears throat> so once we got dropped by Sony, I was like, okay, cool. I'm going to make a solo record and we can put it out on my own label, which you did. Yeah. So I think the first tour that I did was after making that record, I, I think I just did a, 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 just a capital city run, you know, Adelaide, one show in Adelaide, Melbourne, Sydney and Brisbane, playing to probably between 50 and 100 people at each at each show, just in, you know, tiny right. little... Little room, so you know that must have felt a, t- a lot like going back to basics. Then you it know, well, it like was. It was, it was yeah, absolutely, yeah. I mean, I because I'd I'd been playing shows around Perth for probably maybe about five years at that point in time. Yeah, but it was really it was kind of incognito, you know, doing it under the name Bob Evans, no, never ever alluding to Jebediah and anything. And oh yeah, yeah I was going to ask, it. like at, at that point, there wasn't like a brackets, like you know, nah, came from Jebediah. It, it was never, always it, it was always just. This is Bob Evans. This is a different person. Yeah. Even when I've put that first record out, I remember doing interviews with people who didn't... Were they saying you sounded like the guy Kevin. from Jeopardy? No, no, they didn't, but they do stuff like... Um, yeah, because on that first record, I, I had... You know, Katie Steele did a guest vocal on a song or two. And yeah, Justin, yeah. And at the time, she was uh, in a relationship with Justin from End of Fashion. He was on it. And, of course, yeah. And I remember doing this interview when that record came out, and the, <laughs> the interviewer was like... Wow, you know, like you've got these Katie Steele and uh, Justin Burford to guest on your record. That's like, how did you do that? Like, for someone who's just starting out, like, how did you get these people involved? And I was like, going, oh, yeah, well, you know, we're friends and all that. And she was like, oh, you know, she thought it was amazing. Bob Evans was like, it's nobody. <laughs> and I had yeah, these, yeah, like, yeah. You know, the lead singer from Little Birdies on your record. Yeah. <laughs> so, yeah, the people, there were lots of people that just that had no idea of the connection. And that yeah. was totally part of the idea. That was part yeah, of the strategy. Sure. I, you know, I didn't want to ride on the success 
of Jebediah for my own personal gain because we were, you know, we were a gang. I knew, I knew that if I wanted to, I could probably go and play a show as Kevin from Jebediah and 500 people would turn up and I could play Jebediah songs acoustically and... Yeah. But that was never never what I wanted to do. I wanted, wanted to play totally different songs in a really different style. Yeah. Yeah, that's 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 why I gave myself the name. And so, yeah, it wasn't until Suburban Songbook came out on, and, that was, and I was back on a major label again that people really started to make the connection. Yeah, right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Let's go to the third first. What do you remember about the first Basement Birds oh, tour? Basement Birds. Uh, I, I still always get surprised when people bring up Basement Birds. So, well, we only did one tour. Uh, we made one record and did one tour. And um, interesting experience, you know, like Cav from Eskimo Joe and Josh Pike in the band, you know, had sort of really successful careers of their own going on. And yeah. It was one of the Parkins as well, wasn't it? Steve Parkin. Steve, that's it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Steve Parkin, yeah. Perth, Perth Muso, you know. Me and Cav have been friends with for many years. But yeah, we were playing really big theatres. We kind of, you know, in retrospect, we sh- you know, we weren't too too big. You know, I just remember some of those theatres were only half full. Um, yeah. And when you're playing in a really big theatre and and it's half full, you really <laughs> notice it. Like, you Shouldn't know, it be half empty ha- if you're being pessimistic about <laughs> it? Okay, half empty. <laughs> I guess that must mean I'm a half glass full kind yeah, of Yeah, right? <laughs> <laughs> You've got to be in wow, this, this theatre's half full. <laughs> awesome. <laughs> but, you know, look, mate, you've got to be a bit like that in this industry because... Oh, you know, 100%, fucking, yeah. You know, because it can... Sometimes you you really are knocking your head against a brick wall sometimes. You know, you've got to, you've got to keep the faith. But, yeah, so, look, it was really fun making that record with those guys and hanging out with them. But, yeah, it was... I think everyone was pretty, you know... The, the year after that record came out, Jebediah put out Kosciuszko, and which ended up being you know a really successful kind of comeback for the band. And Josh put out a record the very next year as well, and I think Eskimo Joe did as well. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So I think, yeah, everyone kind of moved on from it pretty quickly. So people still ask sometimes, oh, are you going to do another Basement Birds record? No. Nah. No. Nah. <laughs> <laughs> nah. Oh, you know what? I should never say never. I, should, I shouldn't say never. Yeah. Who, who the fuck knows what's around the corner? But yeah, yeah, of course. Certainly, certainly no plans for it, that's for sure. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, yeah, it's, it's just interesting to have so many different kind of phases of your career, whether it's, you know, you literally doing everything or you collaborating with other people or, mm. you know, forming these little super groups, you know, like even, you know, like collaborative tours with like, josh or whatever you know like that's that's obviously been a big part of your touring regime as well like i'm curious does your mentality towards performing change depending on the environment that you're in whether it's you know a show like this one that you're doing where you know people aren't ostensibly coming to see you per Mm. se as opposed to a pub gig with jebediah or as opposed to you know theater show as bob evans or a headlining show versus a supporting show you know like all these different variables of live performance like does your mentality change depending on the context or do you kind of go into every show with a similar energy, mentality, all that sort of thing? It really changes, you know? Yeah, right. You know, my headspace for a Jebediah show is, is really, really different to my headspace in a, as a Bob Evans show. When I'm playing a Bob Evans show, I'm very aware that the show is all about me, right? It's like, yeah. you know, my songs, personal songs, talking to the audience, telling stories. Um, and even when I'm playing with my band, I'm still aware of the fact that it's you know it's my band mm. which Jebediah it's very different you know I very much feel like I'm sort of one 
equal, you know, we're all sort of equal cogs in the machine. We all sort of have our mm. separate kind of roles to play and they're all equally important and the attention is divided amongst us all and it's not, Jebediah has never been the, the Kevin Mitchell show. And, and, and then, you know, of course, apart from that, you know, there's a totally different energy to the music as well. You know, the Jebediah shows, I've got to say, now that I'm uh, entering into middle age, Jebediah shows can be <laughs> fucking hard work. <laughs> oh, yeah. Because we still, it's really important with Jebs, we are able to, you know, give it a, the, the same amount of energy that we did when we first started because sure. Jebediah is still very much about, you know, revisiting to, you know, teenage, you know, youth. Like, um, Jebediah will always be sort of grounded in that. You know, whereas with Bob Evans, I feel like I can take Bob Evans with me as I get older. It, it changes and evolves as I as I get up, get older. But Jebediah is still the same thing that it was in the 90s, you know. And that's cool. That's fine. That's just, that's what it is. You yeah. know, teenage mates in a, in a band and we're all in our 40s now, but we're still, when we get together, that's what we are. I guess it'd be like any kind of friendship group that you've had for a long, long time. When you all get together, you probably go go back to how you were yeah, when yeah, you were yeah. in high school. To, Revertigo. You know, yeah. um, <laughs> so that's what Jeff and I is. Totally, um, yeah. So, yeah, with Bob Evans, you know, I'm much more of a, I guess a more kind of intimate relationship i suppose with the audience so yeah it does require a really different headspace and attitude and and everything um, yeah and and that used to kind of uh, when it, when i first started doing all these different things that was something that i had to kind of navigate and figure out work out but, you know because it's even see it, it manifests in funny ways like with Jeb, like with the clothes that i i put on you know you, you when you go on stage you know you kind of put on a uniform in it in a way mm, um yeah because you know it's like it helps you kind of get you in the right headspace with jebediah i couldn't play in anything other than sneakers and jeans and a t-shirt right right but i never walk on stage as bob evans in t-shirt and sneakers because i would feel too underdressed so right. <laughs> bob evans shows it's like shirt suit jacket boots you know, I dress up for it. Yeah. I, I try to... Uh, it's an event. ...dress up for it. But I could never play a Jebediah show dressed... Like Bob Evans, yeah. Shirt. <laughs> <laughs> like, just a button-up shirt in Jebediah. It would just feel fucking weird. Yeah, that, I, and I think that's just how... It, just one example of how that sort of... Those different mindsets just kind of play out. You know? Yeah. Um, really, really different... It's a really, really different approach. When you're young, I feel like everyone kind of has this very idealistic like rock documentary kind of view of like what bands are like and how bands operate and all that sort of stuff and there's always that moment in those kind of like biopics or whatever where it's just like and this is where the band had made it quote unquote you know and it's Uh, it's this very trite idea but I feel like in some way shape or form every musician has those moments for themselves, whether that's getting to tour to a certain place or play with a certain band or Mm. uh, play at a certain venue, get an award or anything like that. Like these moments Mm. where you feel like this is, this is it, you know, like we've, we've achieved this thing that I set out in my head. Like for you across Mm. your career, whether that's with Jebs or as Bob or whatever, like, is there anything that kind of comes to mind that you've been able to do with your music where it's just like, if teenage me who got that first phone call knew where this would end up, like, the, from that A to oh this B, like, they, they they would not believe you. Oh, my God. Yeah, I mean, you have a bunch of those kind of moments throughout. When I started Jibbit and when we got into all of this, my ambitions were really 
small. I've never really been a, an ambitious, really ambitious person, and, and perhaps to my own detriment. You know, there's probably times where perhaps I should have been more ambitious and maybe could have taken things further. But I can see the ambition that some other musicians have, and I know I, I just don't have that in me. So when we first started out, you know, I was just a massive UMI fan, as a lot of people would know. Sure. You know? Tim Rogers was my hero. Been very, very fortunate to... Um, you know, know him for a long time and become friends. But first time that Jeb and I got to support UMI was it just even that. If you'd have told mm. me, it was only about a within a year of starting the band. But even just a year before that, if you'd have told me that we'd be supporting UMI, I would have just thought, "Oh my, that's everything. That's that's everything yeah. I could imagine." Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. <laughs> I really didn't look much beyond that. But of course, what happens by the time you actually achieve those kind of things in your imagination you've already the bars kind of raised a little bit higher and, and so you, you you sort of keep on going but yeah supporting UMI my favorite band was a massive thing for Jebediah in the year 2000 we started the year 2000 playing on the main stage at the big day yep. out in a, in a sort of late afternoon spot and the crowds probably to this day the biggest crowds ever performed in front of it was probably represented our sort of popular peak and then after that tour we spent three months touring uh, North America. We did tours with the Get Up Kids and Jimmy Eat World. Crisscrossed Canada and the US like three yeah, times. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Which was we'd, we'd done some we'd done a bit of touring overseas before that, but that was the first time where it was like proper. You know, the album was getting released over there, and we were getting played on college radio. Yeah, we were really kind of doing it, and then yeah, came back from that. T- from that tour and did a, an, an Australian tour. We played... It's the most shows we've ever played in a single year. Yeah, year. right. Yeah, it was probably our most productive and our most successful kind of touring, you know. And then for Bob Evans, I think it was like... You know, it's, I'm a little bit embarrassed to, to admit this, but fuck it, I'm, I'm 43 years old, yeah. so... It <laughs> yeah, really exactly. It doesn't really matter anymore what people think. Everyone's probably made up their own minds by now. <laughs> <you know>. It's... <laughs> In 2006, with the Suburban Songbook record, went gold and got all this airplay, and all of a sudden I had this solo career that was more successful than my one with the band, which was totally mind-blowing. Yeah. And it also won an ARIA award, which I've never hadn't done before or since. Been nominated a bunch of times, but to win one, up until that point, I'd, I'd never put much stock in ARIA awards and stuff like that. I, I used to, you know just be like uh you know who cares about all that stuff something about winning that award and also to the the album getting lots and lots of critical praise like jeb and i we sold a lot of records but we never got we were never critics favorites you know sure um again i sort of just developed a kind of like our you know fuck what people think kind of attitude because like you know it doesn't matter and it doesn't achieving critical praise and getting an aria award and those that kind of industry recognition as Bob Evans, there was something satisfying about that. I think it was like I don't know. I guess I just felt like maybe I'd proven myself in a in a way that I hadn't been able to with Jebediah. Yeah, and yeah. Just something that I took away from that that made me feel like, oh, okay, you know, that I'm more than what people thought. You know. Yeah. Yeah. It was just something really kind of ple- pleasing about that. Absolutely. Obviously, this whole career has kind of spanned most of your lifetime now. And I'm curious as to whether the motivation to continue to write and perform and make music, even up to, you know, right now, you know, we're on the precipice of a of a new Bob Evans record and all that sort of stuff. Like, is the motivation mm-hmm. to create and, and continue to 
make music, you know, even when, you know, like like you said, you play with a lot of acts that are on that nostalgia circuit and don't really need to, like, make any more new music, mm. you know, but you're still, you yeah. know, like, a contemporary artist in, in a quite literal sense that you're still, you know, out there make, writing songs and making music and all that sort of stuff. Hmm. Is, the mo- has, yeah. is the motivation to do that still the same as when it was when you were making, you know, like, Oddway or whatever? Like, like how has that kind of progressed and kind of recontextualized over the years? I guess it's changed, but I suppose at its core, it's still the same because I'm just, it's a compulsion. I'm compelled to do it. And yeah. I'm not sure exactly why, where that comes from, but I'm just following this compulsion. So I guess in that sense, it's it's the same. I suppose what's changed now is that... Well, one, I, I'm not locked into this cycle of, like, every two years putting out a record. Yeah. When we, when Jebediah first started, it was like, you, you really lock into this kind of cycle. Whereas now, I, you know, I make a record when I've got a record to make. Yeah, yeah, when yeah. I've got something to make. I'm not, so that means I'm not, I don't put out records as often as I used to. So the last studio album I made was in 2016. So, I mean, this record was supposed to come out last year. Of yeah. Course, but, uh, COVID stopped that. Yeah, but, um boy. Five years between records, so I guess yeah, my motivation has changed in that sense. In that I don't, I'm not putting out records just as part of a production line because that's what I do every two to three years. I yeah, I just I make a record when I feel like I've got something new to offer, new to say, something different to do. Um, and if that takes you know two years, great. If that takes ten years, that's so be it. Yeah, I guess I'm still happy to do all the shit that surrounds that. Yeah, too, yeah, yeah. Because like you know. I, I spoke to Phil Jamison from Grinspoon, uh, who obviously I've known for a very long time. And I can remember he's always been really lovely about my solo stuff, particularly yeah. in more recent years. He's been really, you know, always been very generous with what he said about it. And I asked him, you know, why don't, you know, you, would you ever make a solo record or make new, you know, do you still write songs? Are you still doing new stuff? And he's like, yeah. But he's like, I just can't be fucked doing all the bloody promotion and all the, yeah. all the bullshit that you have to do yeah, right? that comes yeah. with making a record. And, you know, look, I, I get that, you know, like sometimes that stuff is, you know, can be a, it can be a fucking pain in the ass. But if you want people to hear your music, you've got to do those days where you're on the phone all day just repeating yourself to <laughs> ask me the same questions. Or, so what is you know, it like being in a band? I think, is, I think is the main question that I'm trying to ask here. <laughs> <laughs> that's right it's all that i mean look every job like my brother once said you know every every job has that element to it like i think his his example was you know if you're a vet because you love animals you're still gonna have to shove your hand up an animal's ass every now and then (laughs) yeah yeah and do something that isn't very enjoyable yeah i guess i'm still prepared to to do all that other stuff for sure that, that comes with making new music you know that's you know, it some that's people it. are <laughs> alright Kev we will wrap it up there but before we do that I ask this of all of my guests and now it is your turn I want to know about the best and the worst shows that you have ever played oh jeez okay um, well look I'll, I'll just I'll just tell you what, what sort of springs to mind first um, that's usually the best answer yeah yeah now it's because you know not not something that I dwell on <laughs> But the, the first thing show that comes to mind that's the worst was a Jebediah gig. We were in Auckland, New Zealand. We were playing a show at a place called the Power, 
I think a power station is big. Yeah, yeah, in Auckland. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. We were being supported by a band who would go on to support us all around Australia afterwards. Um, a band called Betcha Dupa. Oh, um, Betcha Liam, Dupa. Liam Finn's band. Liam yeah, Finn's. yeah, 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 yeah. That's right. Man, they had some hits. So, um, yeah, they were great. Awesome band. And really great people too. But anyway, so they... I, I can't remember if they'd just come off stage or they were about to go on stage, but I was wandered downstairs. The four of them were all sort of huddled in this hallway and they were smoking a joint. This can only end well. And I was like, yeah, hey, dudes, how you going? They were like, oh, yeah, you know, do you want some? I was like, yeah, man, sure. Got stuck into this joint. Anyway, ended up getting really fucking stoned. <laughs> yep. And had to play a gig. And, you know, even then, I don't know what year this would have been. If it was Betcha Duper, I'm, still I'm, young, I'm guessing but, um, probably 2004. Early 2000s. Yeah. Yeah, so maybe even earlier than that, maybe. But um, but by that stage, you know, I, I started to wean... I, I wasn't really smoking pot anymore. Well, because this story clearly illustrates that I cannot fucking handle it. <laughs> I was so stoned, and I remember having to play this fucking show where I just felt completely disconnected from my own body. Right, you know? yeah, yeah, yeah. And so I had to spend the whole show... Just, just pretending to do what normally feels so natural on a in a, in a normal headspace, right? You know, it was just shit. From the moment it started, I was just like, oh, I'm just counting down for this to end because <laughs> uh, it's probably the last. Uh, I'd say that's probably the last time I ever smoked a joint before a gig. Um, How bad did it get? Were you like hallucinating? Or a, like, <laughs> you, was everything going in I, slow motion? Like, <laughs> Every, yeah, yeah. It's just awful. I mean, you know, being on stage, being too intoxicated on stage, whatever into- whatever mm-hmm. form that takes, is it's the worst. It's the worst thing in the world. I absolutely fucking hate it because I don't feel in control and I feel... And then I just feel really guilty because I'm, you know, because the audience is, isn't getting what they should and... Um, it's just a horrible, horrible, horrible feeling. Yeah. So, yeah, that's, that's, that's the sort of bad show story. Best show ever. Oh, man, like, probably... You know, probably my favourite shows have been doing solo shows overseas because... Right, yeah. Like, when I'm on my own in another in a foreign country, like, say, you know, I, did, I had this great little tour of Spain that I did years ago just on my own, and that's when I feel, like, the most... Like, I'm on a... a incredible adventure you know it's just me my guitar and i'm in fucking madrid or valencia or something and life is just big adventure yeah because i'm just yeah just that's that feeling of being on your own on the opposite side of the world it's just really really exciting and i guess yeah there's just something about being on the opposite side of the world and you're on your own it's like you you're not encumbered by your history (laughs) you know like right yeah your entire life is so far away that it's like you can kind of reinvent yourself. You can be anything. Um, And I think there's something really intoxicating about that feeling. Sure. So it's not a show as such, but I'm going to say, you know, the the small sort of run of shows that I did in Spain in, geez, what year was that? Right at the end of the 2000s. Once I started having kids, once I started a family, my wife and I started having kids in 2011. Right. I think I've only been, I think I've only played overseas like, one time since then yeah so, right um yeah yeah, yeah. kind of stopped and that was because of and that was a choice you know my own choice but yeah nothing like the the feeling of adventure of you know being in a foreign country it's fucking great oh absolutely man for sure for sure kev 
You have a new album. I do. I do. It's called Tomorrowland. And I made it. I made this record in right at the start of 2020. In fact, I was in the studio finishing on the last day of finishing this record in the studio when everything started getting cancelled. Yeah. I mean, if, if I'd have booked that studio even two weeks later, yeah. probably never would have made the record. May, may not have, even now I may not have. But so I'm just so relieved that I scraped it in when I did. But unfortunately, you know, I've been sitting on this record for a really, I don't think I've ever sat on a record this long before, over a year. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's really strange. But yeah, it comes out in April. And, you know, people say, I know, I know it's, you know, I hate, oh. people, artists often say, this kind of shit. But it's I, the I, best record I've ever worked it's on. A, it's really fucking good. I really, I really believe in it. Everything, you know, it's just one of those records where I tried a bunch of stuff that I've never done before and everything just fucking worked. You yeah. Know? So it's kind of similar to the feeling I had going to Nashville and making Suburban Songbook and stuff. It was just like, everything was just easy. Yeah, you know? yeah, yeah, yeah. Like, everything just fell into place. And so, yeah, I, we recorded it live uh, in the room with the band in six days. Um, and I did all over, some overdubs and stuff, vocals and other stuff after that. But um, pretty much all the, the the band stuff was was done in six days, which I've never done before. And it just sounds it just it just gives this album a quality that no, no other record I've made has got. Um, Aces and uh, yeah, just it sounds better than I was expecting it to. And so yeah, I'm really 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 excited about this one. I, hopefully, I'll get to tour it with a band because yeah. these songs really need to be played by a band you know? absolutely um, yeah 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 but yeah that's all on the cards for like you know june so fingers crossed you know we're in a really good place by then and traveling interstate is relatively uh normal again but yes we'll see i don't know yes indeed so new album new tour and you uh you are still rocking along with good evans it's a bobcast yeah <laughs> I am indeed, yes, and we we uh, spoke on that earlier. So, um, if you want to hear more of more of us chatting, then uh, you can go to Good Evans. It's the Bobcast. It's complete my, the uh, set. Why not? Yeah, <laughs> absolutely. This is, um, this is all. This is all shameless cross promotion, man. That's that's what we're about. <laughs> totally, but yeah, I've been doing. I haven't been doing it for as long as you have. I didn't discover podcasts until. 2016. You know, it's funny. We were talking about podcasts, I think, uh, before. And, um, yeah. The, the weird thing that's happened with podcasts coming along is podcasts now have actually caused me to listen to less music. <laughs> <laughs> because my go-to, whenever I had long drives, which mm. is, you know, often with touring and stuff, I would always listen to music. Now I listen to fucking podcasts. <laughs> so <laughs> I'm, podcasts are, are, are causing me to consume less music. I don't know how I should feel about that. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> um, it's, it's 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 conflicting, isn't it? Yeah, it is very conflicting. Especially if it's a podcast about music. Yeah, I know, right? Which so many of the ones I listen to are. <laughs> oh God! <laughs> but you, maybe you maybe now, maybe just now, in, at this stage in my life, I'm probably just a little bit more. I don't listen to music passively so much anymore. Yeah, I, when I do listen to music, it's really dedicated listen i don't Mm. listen to the radio much anymore which which means you know i'm pretty slow to hear about new stuff people are always telling me about you know i'm I'm always six months late to the fucking party with stuff yeah 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 fortunately i've got yeah two young daughters who are keeping me sort of exposed to new stuff but yeah i think i'm just when i listen to music now it's like i go into my i've got my little studio in my garage and my record player and my records and i just i i really uh it's really 100 percent dedicated rather than just background stuff you know yeah Awesome, yeah. 
If anything, it makes you appreciate it just that little bit more. Well, yeah, yeah, I think so. I think so. And then, yeah, look, like I said, it's probably just yeah. It, it's probably partly to do with just the stage of my life that I'm in as well. You know. Yeah. <laughs> Kev, this has been such a thrill. Thank you so much for taking the time to do this today, man. Really Thank appreciate you. it. It's been an absolute pleasure. I'm David James Young, and all my friends are in Barbados. You've just listened to a not-for-print podcast, independent Australian podcasting.